like as a person, we have gone through so much in our own individual lives. And these low moments, when they hit, they can hit very hard. Remember those times that you've gone through those points where you didn't think you could make it. And when you're sitting there and you're having those self-doubts, like remember those times you can do it. It's just sometimes that want to not do it is superseding. So think about what you can do vice what you want to do and flip that script. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Running Tales podcast, where we aim to tell the extraordinary stories of everyday runners. My name is Craig Lewis and this week's guest is ultramarathoner Natasha Swartley. Natasha wasn't particularly into sports and certainly not running when she was growing up, but that all changed when she joined the US Navy at just 18 years old. An initial healthy dislike of push-ups and squats slowly developed into a love of fitness and eventually running. Tasha's naval career morphed into seeing her responsible for the physical standards of 3,000 men on her watch. And in 2019, she completed her first 50-mile ultramarathon, despite neglecting proper nutrition and electrolytes along the way. Tasha has since left the Navy to become a wilderness EMT, but her love for ultra running has blossomed. We chatted about life as a high-ranking woman in the Navy, hauling bombs across ship's decks, and the power of the DFQ. That's don't fucking quit to you and me. We also spoke about what it's like to DNF a 100-mile race and how running can be a constant learning experience. But when we set up this podcast, Tasha told me she may not be a great runner, something we'd vehemently deny, but she has some great stories. So rather unfairly, I started our chat by asking her to tell me a great running story. Well, hello. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to meet you. Um, oh my gosh, what are some good run stories? You know, I got I to gotta tell you, it, it, your first ultra is probably the one that, that creates the baseline for all great stories. And um, so I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my first experience in an ultra. So I was deployed for most of my training. I'm, I'm retired from the Navy, US Navy. So I was deployed for most of my training. So most of which was done on like a stationary treadmill. And so I went out to Oregon and I was gonna run my first 50 miler only ever having done a marathon prior to that. And knowing nothing about electrolytes, nutrition, how to eat, you know, like all these things or even how to train like going into this type of terrain, I was like, I got this. It's just a run. So I'm doing great the first half. And then after the 50K mark, I like my life went to shit. So first of all, I thought I was developing hypernitremia, which is overhydration or dehydration. Uh, you know, either way, because my urine color was like dark. And I was like, I'm going to die. So I'm like instantly panicking. Make note, don't eat beets the night before a big race. <laughs> <laughs> My best friend was crewing me at the time, and neither of us know anything. Like, I'm just eating things that are at the aid stations, you know, hanging out. Like, every, you know, every, I guess, first-timer's experience. They're just like, wow, there's food. So I get to, it's mile 37, and I'm, like, hardcore bonking. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And, you know, and I, I don't ever really get angry. So she... She's looking at me and she's like, you need to eat. And she's like 5'2", I'm 5'8". 
And she's like looking up at me with this sandwich in her hand. And she's like, you need to fucking eat. And I was like, fuck you. And I chuck it back in the air. So I was like, no, I'm done with this shit. And I just like mosey out of the aid station, just like super angry, like munching on chips. And I'm like, fuck her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I finished with like a minute to spare. I was, I was, I definitely like felt everything but yeah i'll never forget i'll never forget that and then when you flip to the other side and it, that hasn't happened again since i've taken many lessons but i flipped to the other side on occasion and volunteer at aid stations or recently i work as a medic at aid stations so now i'm i'm on the other side of it where people are coming in and they're frustrated uh, or like I'm force feeding them after they've told me they've puked like six times. I'm like, you need to eat. Like <laughs> <laughs> trying to shove food in their face, you know, like so yeah. That was my first intro to ultras was like, don't eat beets, electrolytes are super important, and eat, eat, and your best friends truly love you. Like <laughs> <laughs> even when they're trying to throw food down your throat. Oh, it's really yeah. funny what you say about um, electrolytes because, I mean, I've just finished my first sort of official ultra and I did it, so it's got a happy ending. But I, I tried, it was a, um, uh, a 50K, um, but I tried to do one about two, three months ago and it was just out of the blue. And you'll remember I'm talking the UK here, so this is super hot. It might not be in places in America, but it was suddenly like 28 degrees and I was sweltering and I had no knowledge of electrolytes because I'm an idiot. Oh. Um, and I basically got about 22 miles in and I decided to just sit down and have a rest. And it was the stupidest thing ever because it took me 25 minutes to stand up again because I cramped up so badly. So yeah, electrolytes, 100%. <laughs> It was it was so miserable that first that first ultra and it was fifty miles and like it was just so miserable recovering like I didn't know like what real recovery like now I do like I recover way better but oh my god like I remember the drive home the next day and I was not driving I was a passenger and I remember just I never sleep in a car but I was so exhausted I couldn't get my own shoes on. I couldn't walk. I couldn't like, I couldn't eat. I was so nauseous. And here was like, it, it was a tally of like dehydration, you know, low electrolytes, you name it. And it took me like, it, it felt like two days just to get out of bed. Like it was, I'd crawl to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was just a wreck. Backtrack a minute. Congratulations on your ultra. That's huge. Oh yeah, thank you. No, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was one of the one of these uh, looped events, and uh, I just set out super slow and just kept going. So yeah, it worked out really well. But yeah, there's nothing like the feeling of kind of getting to the end of it and and thinking, oh my god, I did I did that. So it, it's pretty cool. And I was going to say to you actually because I read a blog that you did about finishing that fifty miler and and what got you through, which I think was a little a little band or something that you wore, which had some particular letters on it that meant something very particular in themselves About the dfq yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was um so it's a little patch actually it's a patch that's, that's given to folks who do ruck events uh where they're hiking around with the backpacks i don't i don't know how many people are familiar with it but heavy ass backpacks and and um they're rucking and it's a similar thing to like what soldiers do when they're out in the front lines and they're having to navigate 
you know, rough terrain, you know, or dangerous situations. But it's, it's, it's a patch that it was given to me going into my first ultra and uh, DFQ, don't fucking quit. You know, and, and there are like, I, I still have that patch to this day. And there are times it's a harder, more aggressive side of me when I need to hit that low. I've really matured in my in my ultra uh, training where I'm not as aggressive about it anymore. I'm very more mindful and, and practice more uh, like mindfulness when I'm out on the trails. But when I need, when I'm hitting that bonk, that low, you know, DFQ, like um, I'm like trying to really, really dig even deeper into my soul and, and like, don't, don't fucking quit. Like, like, what do I have, you know? And, and sometimes you have to, um, sometimes like it, it just, you just, it's not in the stars that, that moment. It's not in the stars. Like, I don't even want to call it DNFs because I've, I've got two and that's fine. They're lessons. And, and I made choices to pull chalks, you know? For all the right reasons, but every single one of them, there's lessons um, to take forward into the next one. So did I quit? Essentially, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, DFQ. It's it's a good good little slogan, you know, for the aggressive side. If you have an a, an assertive need to keep going. Yeah, definitely. And and how far has that attitude got you to go now in terms of the ultras that you've done? Because I think you've done a bit more than fifty miles since then. Yeah. So. This year, this past year and a half has really, like, I've basically, I started training from scratch and so built a new baseline and whatever. Um, Longest distance I've commuted on foot was 71 miles. That was just a few weeks ago uh, or two months ago, something like that. I don't even remember. But it was in, it was in another 100 mile attempt and it was brutal. East coast of the United States, uh, they call it the beast coast. It's It's a very unique terrain bouldery rocky it's not the most runnable in addition to that it was raining 24 straight hours um, the, the whole day and and it was just it was it was tough I just didn't have anything left in the tank and but I was still positive about it you know like hey like whatever you know 71 miles is a long time in the rain in the mud in this it, it, terrain like if, if you've got listeners out there that have done anything in the east coast like the northeast coast of the united states it's it's unique it's you you know it when you see it and when you feel it and you never forget it but yeah 71 miles i mean that's pe- people talk about you know trying to do 100 and only doing 71 and 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 they'll put you, you read it somewhere and they put a word like failure and i mean it's just it's just not a failure is it running 75 miles uh, 71 miles no it's, it's just incredible so well done you <laughs> thank you yeah it's it's hard to say like and it's you know for some like dnf is a real thing but it, really it's not a failure i mean there's so and, and what's beautiful is like the trail community is very supportive about it because nearly everyone in some capacity has been humbled by nature. And, you know, as much as you want to achieve whatever goal it is that you have, and it doesn't have to be a hundred miler, it could be the 50k, it could be the 10k because 10k's are hard. Let's be honest, like those short distances on a trail, they're intense. And, you know, and if you don't finish, like it's okay. You still finished. You finished a distance that you didn't 
before or you have already and it just wasn't in the stars that day but you still finished yeah it's, it's really interesting what you say about the the shorter races particularly on trails being a nightmare because obviously i said i've done the ultra the other uh bigger race that i did this year is something called the dovedale dash which is uh over trails it's just short of five miles it's the most ridiculous race i've i've ever done up and down hills i had to go through a river at one point there was so much mud we were drowning in it <laughs> and i've never been so if you look back through my twitter somewhere there's a picture of me looking the most horrendous i ever have in my life at the end so oh, you're exactly right it, you know sometimes these these shorter distances are, are are just as hard but but talking of amazing places to run around obviously i've seen some of the pictures you've taken on your twitter feed and where you've been running it, it just looks i mean what what a series of places to go running in so I, I don't know maybe first of all for people who don't know let them know where you run and what it's like yeah so literally just moved to colorado springs last week <laughs> <laughs> i i was living in pennsylvania just north of the philadelphia area so a lot of the training I was doing out in Pennsylvania was actually on the Appalachian Trail. Some beautiful, beautiful ridges up there, um, views. Uh, again, East Coast, it's, it's terrain is just unique. Um, so it taught me a lot about how to navigate rocky terrain. Some of the races I did when I was out on the East Coast were up in New York in the Finger Lakes region. So it's just northwest of the New York City area. And also Vermont uh, and New Hampshire and Massachusetts. So beautiful, beautiful terrain. You're not going to have steep peaks, but you're going to have volume of peaks. So it's it's deceiving. If you ever look at courses out there, there's a lot of elevation gain, but it's the volume of the hills, vice the steepness almost. And then recently, this past summer, I've been working for destination trail races. So the Tahoe 200, the Bigfoot 200, and then most recently the Moab 240. So when I wasn't working, fixing people's feet or helping them find trash bags to puke in, <laughs> I, was, uh, I took advantage of the time I had to go explore some of the terrain. And oh my gosh, like it is so gorgeous out in this area. Like I've lived in San Diego. I, I have lived in Washington state. But I have not ventured to these places that, that this race series took me to. And it was just absolutely stunning and runnable. They're all runnable, which was fantastic. And then the altitude kind of changes things up because it adds an extra element of challenge when you're, you know, a couple thousand feet above sea elevation. So super, super gorgeous. Anywhere, anywhere you can find a trail, go explore it because there's something to find there for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, talking of the elevation, I've never really run at elevation, but I did uh, a few years ago go um, hiking on the Inca Trail. And the first thing that I saw entering uh, Cusco at the start of the trail was um, some poor lady who walked off the plane before us just crumpled down and collapsed in a heap just because of the the like instant altitude sickness straight oh, down man. so but she was fine thankfully but yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's a real thing the the altitude sickness is a real thing you know and, and and when i was working at moab um as a medic for the runners like there was one of the aid stations i worked at they were coming down off of a pretty steep peak and we had a couple of folks that were facing some altitude illness and uh it's a real thing it can be very very scary so, you know, just, just be gentle, 
on yourself, you know, recognize those signs and be, be gentle. But yeah, it's, it's a very scary thing. I, I hope the lady's okay. I'm glad you're okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was I, I was fine, fortunately, and everyone else was fine. And I mean, I didn't I didn't know her, but um, she she was she was up and sitting and talking five minutes later. So I'm I'm sure okay. she was absolutely fine and nothing but perhaps a little bit of embarrassment and a story to tell people and a story for me yeah. to tell people. So it's all good. No, welcome to trails, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, even in ultra running, like you get into some and. It, you don't have to do a hundred plus miles to experience some shit, right? But a lot of the a lot of the experiences I've I've seen were the most recent races working at these two hundreds and seeing what some of these folks go through. And I'm like, oh my God, they're so brave. They're such courageous and strong people. Like I'm so amazed by them. And yet it's absolutely hilarious because they'll come in and they're just like dragging, they're like holding a Reese's pieces, you know, to their mouth and they're like, <laughs> I just don't want to eat it anymore. I'm tired of food. It's incredible right. the things we do for um apparently for fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it it is. It's enlightening because when you see them when they when they come through that finish or when they reach that aid station and they're just like, look, like I, I just, I can't do it anymore. And you're trying to find any reason to make them sit down, you know, if, if they've got time, like just to kind of like settle on the decision before they finalize it, every single one of them, just so many kudos. And, and it's just so rewarding. Every bit of it is so rewarding. People listening to you now who, who don't know your backstory, might think, oh, Tasha's probably been involved in running and ultra running her her whole life, and but that's far from the truth, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, no, I I I think I was about as lazy as it gets going through my high school years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, man, I didn't play sports growing up. I don't come from an athletic family. Right out of high school, I was eighteen, joined the U.S. Navy, spent twenty years in the service. Uh, and even then, in my early years of the service, I hated working out. Um, I, I did do a lot of push-ups because, you know, I'm a little sarcastic at times. So I was rewarded with push-ups quite frequently. And, um, you know, and, and as my, my career progressed, I've had a lot of, like, just personal changes through the years. I got more into running. I think I actually started road running back in 2008. I, I was gaining a little bit of weight. And my uniforms were getting a little snug. So I was like, well, <laughs> so I'll try this run thing. Like, you know, and, and that was when I ran my first 5K. But trails, I got into trails a, a few years later uh, in 2015 when I moved out to San Diego. And um, that's really when my fitness started to, to progress. So even still, like I'm still in the Navy at this time. And um, I ended up taking over as a command fitness leader. So like, overall in charge of 3,000 sailors fitness, you know, making sure they're passing their tests and, you know, everything else. So I really had to set the bar a, a lot higher for myself because if I'm going to expect people to do their job, then I need to be able to do it. So, you know, I, and 2019 was when I ran my first ultra. Well, I retired from the Navy in 21 and I think it was in, yeah, early 22, I, was it 22? When did I move to PA? Yeah, early, early 2022 is when I started right back from scratch. 
and really started to progressively find my niche in trail running. And, you know, I started my first race was a 10 miler and I progressed upward and then I progressed upward, you know, and, and, and I'm 40 now. So I'm like, I, I feel my best. I'm more mature when it comes to the running. So I have a better understanding of like self-care because recovery is important. Nursing injuries is important. But yeah, like this last almost two years have just been blissful in the ultra scene. So many lessons learned, but so much gratitude to come with it because it's it's taken me so many places. And then I get to meet such a wonderful community of people. So yeah, I, I was, I, I think I barely graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. And I think I barely graduated boot camp by the same because I... I don't like push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and then you made then you made other new recruits do them when you got older. <laughs> I was so not nice about it. Like I had the knife hand of knife hands, and I was like, "That's not a push-up, ninety degrees," you know. And just oh, they hated me, but man, they it was respected because I had high standards. If you're gonna, if I have to do this. You know, at my age and in my lifestyle, you have to do, you just have to do the bare minimum. So, but it's a good thing. I mean, health is, health is incredible. It's, it's worth the effort. It's worth the sweat. So yeah, I, I, I do not come from any cool, like my parents don't work out. My sisters don't work out. Like totally the black sheep. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that you're, you're you're 40 now and that you've obviously managed to be in the Navy long enough to have retired from it, which means I'm guessing you must have left, you, sorry, you must have joined at a, a pretty young age out of a background of no physical exercise. I mean, what made you, particularly as, you know, we're talking 20 odd years ago, there probably wasn't the same levels of equality and things aren't perfect now, but of equality in the armed forces as a, as, as, as a young woman, that must've been quite, quite the move to make. It, it was huge. So I joined, I was 18 when I went in and then I retired when I was 38. So I did 20 straight years of service. And, um, I, <laughs> um, so I work as an EMT now I'm a wilderness certified EMT um, I did not do that when I was in the Navy. I blew shit up. I, I worked on weapons, <laughs> um, um, which, which considerably for a long period of time, it, it's a very male dominating type of job. Uh, a lot of heavy lifting. It's grueling, very tiresome, very, it can be very cumbersome. It's mechanic work. It's greasy. It's gross, but it, it's just, it's, it's whatever, you know, it, it needs to get done. But when I went in, in 2001, so I went to boot camp in July, 2001, and um, no idea what I was getting into. I never saw weapons and I, I, don't, I don't know, what's weapons? What's aviation weaponry? I don't know. Little did I know that I was going to be putting bombs on fighter jets for a good amount of my career. Like I, I was going to be lifting them and assembling them and storing them and handling them and being in charge of them and moving them and loading them and arming them and all this stuff, anything related with weapons. So, but early on in the career, I, I worked for very, like a very small handful of, of senior women who'd been in many years prior to me, um, but it was still a growing community. Like not a lot of women were in this, this field. 
And, you know, of course, like the Navy has been progressing over the years. You know, our, our Navy is 248 years old, but there are still steps that women, not just in my job, but in the service overall, are still like catching up on. You know, in my in the weapons field, we still have yet to make certain rankings. Even when I was deployed in 2018, I was the most senior female in my job field out of 6,000 people. So I had I had a lot of weight. I felt like a lot of weight on my shoulders to adhere to certain standards because a lot of people have their eyes on me like, you know, I'm I'm the most senior woman working in weapons. And then, you know, just recently, even after I retired, well, just around the time I retired, there was a woman who she took the seat as, as the commanding officer of an aircraft carrier the first time in the naval um, history. And then just recently, a couple months ago, I was up in Boston, Massachusetts, where the USS Constitution is. And she's still a ship in commission. She's the oldest naval vessel in commission. And just two years ago, the woman's name is BJ. She took uh, the reins as the commanding officer, the first commanding officer woman of that ship in the U.S. Navy. So it, like, and I got to meet her and, and, you know, having been through what I've been through and just seeing the progression of women in the service. Cause now like in my time, like women were allowed to go on submarines and they opened the doors for women to get into more special operations programs. And uh, now we have women as, as skippers on these, on these ships and, and like the big vessels. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then I got to meet BJ and uh, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I cried because it's just such an empowering moment to see, you know, not only the fact that like, I'm a very gentle soul, but when I was at work, I, I had a very thick skin and a very hard like soul to be able to like, cause I, I had to compartmentalize, you know, my emotions, you know, as, as a, as a human, to keep the mission going. So it's really beautiful to see other women who are out there empowering their strength, but also leading from a gentle side, you know, and just, they're so successful. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it so much. It's so awesome. Yeah, no, it's absolutely fantastic to see women get into those top roles and to, to do things that ridiculously women were never allowed to do before. It must've been, I mean, you hinted at it, that it must've been quite, hard to be almost a trailblazer at times in that position because the pressure on you completely unfairly is is you've not just got to be good at your job you've got to be the best at it because you're probably being judged uh more harshly than a man in the same position would be it felt like it whether i was or not i'm not sure you know but i i certainly put a lot of weight on my shoulders to do beyond the best that i could you know and and i had to also be realistic it's a, it's a fine balance of like knowing that reality does not expect perfection and perfection is not reality. And then the other half of it is like, okay, I need to be perfect at everything I do because I don't want to, I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want my sailors to see that. Like, it, it, I don't want my sailors to see me as a mistake, you know? And in some cases I, I was their mom, uh, which I adored um, you know, having to flop hats all the time in, in different types of roles I had to play. But I love them dearly as if they were they were children of mine. 
And um, so I wanted to be the very best type of role model for them, but also teach them, like lead them, guide them, you know, and, and me, me being hard on them was, was my level of like love, care, concern, guidance, you know, strength to, to, because once you exit the service, like those qualities, those traits go a very, very long way. When you're in, it's tough, but when you come out and I've experienced it, 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 it makes you better. It really makes you better. Um, cause nobody's going to tell you like, well, oh, you missed your doctor's appointment. Like th- that's not going to happen, you know? And so teaching those traits and those qualities and, and then, yeah, like that weight on my own self puts, it, it was, it was challenging at times, but I don't want to say, I don't want to put words in people's mouths. Cause I don't know if I was being judged, you know, and if I wasn't, that's great. But certainly at times it did feel like it. So I was always, doing my best to be the best I could for myself and for those around me. But most of all, just do my job, like at the best of my ability, safely and proudly. Like, you know, I, I loved what I did. I was proud to serve and, you know, and, and I didn't want to mess up <laughs> in, in fear. You know I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of people who rely on us, you know, for, for keeping them safe at home. So yeah, it's a lot of weight to carry. And actually, you've hinted at what my next question was was going to be there, which is the 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 resilience that you gained, that um, the dedication, and the way you have to, I don't know, follow follow those rules and those whatevers within the armed forces and so on, um, and all that kind of stuff. How you, you said that that helps when you get into to life after the navy, but how much does that help when you're out on the trails, when you're doing an ultra run, and you're in that in those horrible situations? You can sort of look back and go, oh well, I've I, I, I've looked after 500 men as they do on a ship. It's fine. You know, and it's funny because there are moments when I recollect on it. So there are some days where I'm like, that, that last race I did, you know, I was running through 24 hours of rain. And I'm like, I've done this before. I've done this before. I've pushed bombs, you know, back and forth on a flight deck, which is four acres in total, like, you know, space. And in waves and I've put bombs on jets in pouring down rain, like in heavy leather boots. And I've done it in snow. I've done it in freezing temperatures. And I'm like, so I, some of these thoughts do run through my mind. And I'm like, I have done all of this before. Does it mean that I want to do it? No. <laughs> but does it mean that I can? Yes. And that's the difference when I, when, when I'm in a race setting, like I'm not competitive, like I am, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I know I'm a mid pack runner. I, I know that's where I place and that's fine by me. I, I know where, where I stand, but it still gets me through. Like, you know, when, when some folks are hitting their lows, which is a real thing, you got to find that, that piece, that why, or you know, where am I at? What, why am I crying? What am I upset about? Why am I doubting myself? And these things that I've already experienced, the strength or listening to my own mentors, like tell me like, oh my gosh, you're doing great. Or listening to my mentors, like scold me, you know, when I was in the Navy, like that, that hard hair, I guess, if you will. And those things like do run through my mind. So what I'm saying is that like these traits that I took away from the Navy really do carry forward that, that commitment. Like I have zero excuse to go hit the gym or do a hundred squats. I have zero excuse 
to go dedicate 70 minutes or whatever amount of time I'm going to spend on my feet today. Zero excuse, because it's going to lead to my own demise if I don't commit to it. I have, you know, but I also have to recognize that like, okay, if I'm like legit injured, I'm, I'm going to be very honest about how my body feels. But like, I have zero excuse, you know, to keep like, oh, rain, like, oh, 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 my shoes get wet. Oh, well, they've been wet before. Guess what? You dry. You'll dry off when you're done. But at the end of the day, like you, like as a person, we have gone through so much in our own individual lives. And these low moments, when they hit, they can hit very hard. Remember those times that you've gone through those points where you didn't think you could make it. And when you're sitting there and you're having those self-doubts, like, remember those times. You can do it. It's just sometimes that want to not do it is superseding. So think about what you can do vice what you want to do and flip that script. Oh, Tasha, that's some that's some wonderful advice um, to to give to people and and to to finish on today. So thank you so much for joining me on on the Running Tales podcast. No, thank you for having me, Craig. This is so fun. Like, dude, I I I had the honor and the pleasure to hang out with some Brits after the two forty, and it really put <laughs> put into perspective how amazing just the the culture is. I don't I don't even want to like put it country to country. It's just absolutely amazing. The The trail community is such a beautiful family. The run community is such a beautiful family. Everybody stands up for each other. You know, get involved, you know, and it, and it starts with one step. Thanks again to Tasha Swartley for joining me on this week's Running Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. I think there were some fantastic things to learn about running, the power of the mind when running, and how the process can often be just as important as the results. If you enjoyed this week's Running Tales podcast, please, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to us. It does really help other people to find the podcast and to be able to listen to fantastic stories like Tasha's. If you enjoy the Running Tales podcast, please also check out our Substack channel, runningtales.substack.com, where this week we have a question and answer session with the one and only Christopher McDougall, the author of Born to Run. We'll have another running tale for you next week, and I hope to see you then.